This is the Mark Stucheski Podcast. Before we start the show, I have a gift for you, my top five productivity tips for solopreneurs. To get them, go to top5productivitytips.com. That's the number five, top5productivitytips.com. And it's possible that I over-delivered, and you'll have to find out for yourself. Just go to top5productivitytips.com. Over the past two decades, Kemi Joseph has served in several leadership roles in organizations, small and large, including working with multiple Nobel Prize, I probably said that wrong, Nobel Peace Prize winners to inspire social justice initiatives in over 40 countries around the world. Today, he helps organizations Holistic DEI, which stands for Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion, by making it actionable, profitable, and enjoyable. Kemi, welcome to the show. I love the energy of that introduction. I'm like, yeah, I want to meet that guy. <laughs> now, is it Nobel? Noble? How do you say that? Uh, I would say Nobel because uh, it's going to be after Alfred Nobel. So, yeah, I would say Nobel. Okay, very good. Well, the audience knew what I was talking about. Anyways. Yeah, yeah, it's, awesome. it's a peace prize, right? It's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, I got to tell you before we start, uh, this is an audio-only podcast, but I'm looking at Kemi right now, and he's got these awesome dreadlocks. And now I know, because I shave my head every morning, now I know where my hair goes all the time. It goes on your head. Yeah, yeah, I'll take it. I mean, this has been this has been a seven year journey of growing my hair, and it's uh, yeah, it's very interesting that uh, even having as a man like having long hair that is my own natural hair is something that not many people are used to. I remember my uh, I met my godson for the first time, and he was like, "You have lady hair." I was like, "All right, we got to talk about gender norms." But I hear what you're saying, buddy. I hear like you've never seen anybody else with this long hair. But it's just so funny to like talk to little kids about their perceptions of who's supposed to have hair, who's not supposed to have hair. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm 56 and I grew up where guys had long hair and you know, women had long hair, guys had short hair. Now it doesn't make any difference. I've been bald, voluntarily bald. If uh, you know, remember what a chia pet is? Uh-huh. I have to shave my head every day. You think after like 18 years, my body would go, let's stop growing. But I have to shave it every single day. I get the five o'clock shadow on my head. I wish I could just get it to stop growing. Now you live in Miami and it gets hot down there. How does someone with long hair, I mean, it would drive me crazy to have long, to have any air. I live in Houston in the heat. How do you deal with that? Well, I mean, you wrap it up. I mean, they can't see it, but I'll just usually will just, you know, tuck it back or, or, or bring it up over my head. And so there's, there's ways to navigate, but people ask that. It's like, what do y'all think hair? Like, how do you, like, how do people, think hair adds to temperature like i mean it's not the same as like wearing a hoodie or right. uh, or a jacket but <laughs> in a similar way i can i can move it off of my neck if that's what people are concerned about <laughs> and you know you also just go to the ac right that's also yes why, yes ac is a, a, a very good thing in miami and in houston texas now are you are you a football fan an american football fan uh yeah, in general, there's not any teams like I mean I would generally root for Miami or Florida teams, right? So I want to make sure people who are listening are like, oh, he's got it. Like, Absolutely, but in general, I just I like a really good game. I'm not necessarily connected. Uh, uh, my heart's not like in any like specific team to where like if they lose, I'm gonna feel really sad. Well, the reason why I ask you is because you have very long hair, and I learned a couple of years ago that uh, you can actually pull someone's hair to tackle them. And when I first heard this, the announcer goes, what? And the other guy goes, yeah, the NFL said if it goes beyond the end of your helmet, because it's unfair advantage, you get hair all the way back to your, to your, to your butt. 
it's unfair advantage. So the NFL said, Hey, if your hair is sticking out beyond the end of your helmet, they can grab it because if you can't, you, there's some guys you could never tackle. Yeah. And I think that's an interesting piece. I mean, it's, it's there's so many pieces around hair, but that, that was the an NFL ruling. And it's funny you're, when you're asking me about my hair, the, one of the questions I get a lot when I'm just roaming, roaming around is like, Hey, have you, were you a football player? Cause I think some people either think your hair, you're like a Rastafarian person or you're a football player. It's like, there's like not a middle ground for people. It's like, Hey, you know, I can, I just be like a regular person too. Like to just have, like, I can also be that, right? Like I can, can I, can I be that in your mind? All right. So it's a interesting educational opportunity when I was, when I was traveling before COVID, there would be times where I would, I would be meeting people for the first time. And I'm like the first person they've met with, well, with my skin color and with my hair. So there's a lot going on for them. And they're like, can I touch your hair? I'm like, thanks for asking. Depending on my mood, I'm, I am like, cool, come and come and check it out. But also there's times like, no, I'm good. Like, no, I don't want, I don't want I to. I think that's weird. It's like when people go to a pregnant woman and go, can I feel your belly? That's weird. Unless you're like the father. That's weird. I would never walk up to a woman in public and go, hey, can I feel your belly? That's mm. I would never ask you, Kemi, if I can feel your hair. It's weird. Why would you do that? But you know what? Trust me, there's lots of things. I mean, <laughs> I'm on the opposite spectrum. People came come up to me and say, hey, can I feel your head? I'm like, no, that's weird. <laughs> I mean, I have a, a dog whose personality is more like a cat. And like, I mean, she's a beautiful little dog and people always want to pet her. And she's like, they're asking me, can I pet your dog? I'm like, it's up to her. It's not. I mean, it's like, <laughs> most times she's like, no, I don't want you in my space. And it's but it's an interesting thing of. I at least pe- appreciate people asking and, and there's a, there's a journey where I like, I appreciate that curiosity and it kind of can lead to some good questions. I, I definitely appreciate that more than people just making assumptions. I'm like, all right, cool. At least we can, I, I'll dabble in this curiosity space. Like the assumption space, there's not much wiggle room, right? Yeah. I will tell you that of all the guests I've had on my show approaching 700 guests, I've never had such a diverse hairstyle you have really long hair i have no hair i mean i don't think any t- my guests and i've never had that big a gap so congratulations <laughs> for making history on the podcast <laughs> let's go yeah, i appreciate it there you go i'll make sure we put that on my bio <laughs> well listen one of the things we talked about which i think very interesting before we started recording you, you mentioned something and you probably didn't think i caught it but you talked about email and email in the corporate environment you said that people are spending 30 45 minutes to to write an email because they want to make sure it's correct and not offending anyone and you said it shouldn't take you that long so i want to jump off our conversation on that our real conversation because i thought when you said that i said that's a very interesting topic so explain to you explain the listener and myself what you meant by that yeah, because if we if we kind of give them more context, as we were talking about making diversity, equity, inclusion, something that's functional for businesses. And I think a lot of people go on this journey of like, oh, it has to be about skin color. It has to be about race, social justice. Like there's also these all these other kind of day to day pieces where we think about company cultures that are emotionally expensive or very tense because there's a lot of mistrust. And that's very ineffective. If, for example, people spending over an hour writing an email to somebody that they know is going to get offended by it. And we, every time we say that example, people can immediately relate to like, oh, I've done that. And it's like, yeah, that's a, that's a sign that there's mistrust in your company culture. And it's like, if it takes you that long to write an email, you're not doing whatever else you're supposed to be doing with your job. And you're, you're kind of more concerned about how they're going to take it. We're playing office politics, all these things that people do not see as signs of a poor culture or a culture that is uh, one of inequity. Poor culture. I love that. I've also heard the term toxic culture because 
you know, we live in a diversified workplace. This is not the 1950s workplace anymore. You're going to work side by side, people who are black, white, Asian, Hispanic, et cetera, et cetera. So how can, because I know some leaders do listen to the show and how do they deal with it? Because, you know, I, I think if you're still managing, if you're still managing like you're in the 1950s, you may need to retire even in the 1960s in the 1970s. If that's the way your management style, you need to either get educated or you need to quit because this is the year 2021. So how can people, leaders, managers, supervisors, how can we prevent uh, a toxic culture, a, uh, a poor culture to use your words, or if it's we're building a culture, how can we ensure that that doesn't happen in our culture? Yeah, I appreciate that question. It's interesting what you just mentioned. If you're modeling your leadership off the 1950s, then you might have to quit. Also, there's a third option there. You said you might have to quit, you got to get educated, or you tell people that you're not going to change if you're the run running the company and just let them make their own choices, right? Because there's a level where that's, that's technically fair. And I know it's a little controversial that we kind of talk about this, but I've been, as we've been working with businesses, it's like, hey, it's your business, right? You're bringing us in as consultants. We can advise you on, on things. And the word equity can be synonymous with fairness. So it's say, hey, the fairest thing I can tell you as a person who has built your company from scratch or you're running the company, you now have this leadership role, is that if, if you if you are aware of how you're modeling your leadership, do you have an opportunity to change it as you just gave the invitation for And you have an opportunity to say, hey, I'm not going to change it and then let people make choices, including those choices might be leaving your company because there's part of the biggest friction we've been seeing is that cultures are toxic for some and like amazing for others at the same time. And so when we're explaining to leaders that it might be toxic or a poor culture, like, no, but I experienced a beautiful culture. We love each other. We're connected like family. It's like, yeah, some of your people are. And there, there is a reality where, hey, if you keep on hiring those kind of people, that you're gonna, like, you're never going to see, uh, you're never going to be able to expand beyond the type of culture that will be more inclusive. And the, the, you know, we keep getting resistance in some areas, and that's why we started by saying, hey, if you're not going to change anything, at least be honest about it and tell people that this is going to stay exactly the same, and and then folks can make a choice. And that that way, when you um, when you say that you are going to make a change, people not only believe you, they want to rally behind you and they give they give the benefit of, of trust. Because I think that um, we, we one phrase you're going to hear more come out of our mouths is leaders who autocorrect get more respect. So if I say, hey, I'm going to change and I'm adjusting my behavior. I just did this yesterday when I was leading through with a group and we kept saying, I kept saying, yeah, we're going to tackle this problem. I'm like, I don't need to use the word tackle. Like I'm trying to like de-violence my language. I'm like, I don't need to use the word tackle. And in real time, I'm explaining to them why I want to use different words. Like we're going to address this. We're going to navigate it. We're going to collaborate on this. Like there's so many other words and whether that's a very small example, but they're seeing me in real time say, here's what I really want to be as a leader. And this is the kind of language I want to use. And then I autocorrect myself because I want them to see that I'm also learning and people find that much more valuable because they know that we're learning together versus the leaders who say, hey, I want to change and be more inclusive. And then their behaviors always do the opposite. That's when we, that's where we keep seeing the toxicity and the mistrust. That sounds like the title of the episode, autocorrect, get more respect. I don't know. We'll have to see if that made the final cut. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Trust me, we've been working, shopping, and just like kind of passing over the idea that leaders who autocorrect get more respect because then that's kind of what accountability looks like in some ways. And 
people keep telling us we want more accountability when it they're kind of making it synonymous with policing. And it's like, hey, if you don't have functional authority to hold people accountable in their work in your workplace, you might just be asking leaders to take more responsibility for their words and their actions, which is like, that's fair. <laughs> I think that's a very fair, like baseline thing to ask another human to do is take responsibility for their own thought, their own words and actions. Like, yeah, that sounds great. And are we actually building that into our culture? Or for all the leaders who are listening, if our team is watching us say one thing and do another that is constantly or somebody said they're micro we're, we're micro shredding our values our organizational values we're micro shredding the trust where every if i say hey let's be here at 10 and i show up at 1005 and it's just like that's my repeat pattern as a leader or i say hey make sure this is on my desk by friday and i don't even look at it until two weeks later because it's just all these things that say your time isn't as valuable as mine and and if we look at time as one of the most objective things that we all share, people are like, oh, okay, this person doesn't actually care about me. They only want me to play their game. They're not really here to play together or to collaborate. You mentioned something a few minutes ago I want to expand upon. You said sometimes, you know, you have a certain leadership style and some people like that leadership style and some people don't. So let me give you a scenario. You're you're a leader. 50 people are in your company. 47 love the, the culture. But there's three people who not only don't like the culture, they're the biggest mouths, and they're trying to infect everyone else. What should a leader do in that situation? Oh, that's sad. I, will, I always say assess instead of make a mess, right? Let's find out what is it about the culture. Because there, there's also opportunities where there's misalignment, right? There could be very real, like, hey, there's a misalignment of our of our culture and these folks, right? Is it, and it, can we actually quantify and, and, and get it in writing, for example, that way it's not just an objective, hey, I let these three people go because they don't agree with me, right? That's a lot what people think, oh, that person was punished for speaking out. It's like, mm, maybe, depends on what's speaking out, man, like, let's look at all, like, like, so we always assess instead of make a mask up. People want to get like strong answers from us. Like, oh, I don't know what exactly happened with those three people. A lot of times right now, um, interviews become lying contests where companies are like, here's our culture. And like, here's what, and then employees are like, yeah, great. Like I'm doing that. And it was like, why, why are we lying to each other? <laughs> and it only gets worse from there. And so I'm interested to kind of like trace back, like where did the misalignments happen? And can't like notice I'm using the word misalignment because if we start to say, okay, great. How do we invite more alignment? If the folks are not willing to align to the culture and we're not willing to change the culture, that's a great kind of point to say, hey, that seems like we're this is not going to get better and neither of us is moving in this direction. So we can have discussions of maybe offboarding them. And I think these are this is just a high level because I don't know all the dynamics that could play a role here. Because for example, if we were to say, hey, there's 47 white employees who are all board and there's like three black employees, I'm like, like there's a whole like other layer to that that kind of dynamic. So that's why it's it's harder for me to give a, a firm answer versus asking leaders to say, where's the misalignment and how do we invite more alignment if we want to keep those folks and they want to stay there as well. The Productive Life, a membership for solopreneurs, will help you gain confidence and clarity, show you how to deal with overwhelm, and teach you how to get and stay focused. To find out more and to sign up, visit theproductivelifemembership.com. Do you think that in most cases when there is an employee who has become unhappy and as a result they're more toxic, do you think more often than not that it's 
over something very small, like a misunderstanding and no one did anything to it. It just got into something bigger. I could, I mean, I think that's most of our lives, right? <laughs> it's like, it's like <laughs> a lot of it starts with something that was like, oh, that's pretty small. We could have addressed it, you know, a month ago. And here we are, or the assumptions that kind of added to it. And then, you know, when people, I think about a scenario I just had with somebody who is um, a close friend of mine that they assumed that I was being passive aggressive in my text message and they didn't, they didn't address it until like three weeks later. And I was like, wow, I, you know, I, I, I don't think that I am passive because I feel like I'm pretty direct and generally like I'm, I'm kind of, I'm used to a person who used to give free hugs. Like I'm, I'm like, I'm pretty sure. But it's like, as I'm going through this whole dialogue in my mind, I'm like, well, either way, there was some kind of impact there that like they perceived that this way. It's like, cool, let's, let's see how we can clear this up. But I think about even how I avoided that person a little bit for the week that we, for this couple of weeks that we were having this. And like, I was like, oh, man, it's going to be intense. And, <laughs> And when we finally had the conversation, it was like, okay, we actually got it out there. Now what's going to be important is that we both do the behaviors that we requested of each other moving forward that we actually agreed to, because I think people can have those conversations and then we have agreement of like, okay, great. We're going to communicate more thoroughly, or we're going to make sure we call each other if there's any miscommunication. And then that doesn't happen. So then we, again, we kind of broke the, that agreement or broke the trust and a lot of that happening over time is what I'm, I'm seeing with employees. And one employee, as we just did a survey where pretty much after one year, the experience drops from people rating like 90% favorable scores to like 60, 70s. Wow. And it's like every, after a year. So it was like, what are, your, what are you experiencing after that, like after those first nine months or so? And people said that we actually started to see the, the the gossip, we started to see how leadership was handling certain decisions. We started to see things that let us know that we couldn't fully trust them. And I was like, that is wild to see that in data, that there's a literally a drop off. So to your to your point is I think it starts with the small pieces um, and, and it, it continues to then become part of the processes and then the policies and how people are paid. It just becomes such a big deal. When I was raised, I was an only child. My mother always told me if if I, if she asked me if I did something, she said, if you tell me right away, you won't get in as much problem, trouble as if you waited. And she found out a week, two, three, four weeks later. Mm-hmm. And I was a knucklehead. I, I didn't listen to mom. I go, mom will never find out. Mom always finds out. And sure enough, when she found out, you know, days or weeks later, I would get more trouble because I would have gotten less trouble. If I would have said, yeah, I did break the lamp or yeah, I did eat this, whatever the case may be. And I think that can go into today's culture. If you just say, listen, mm-hmm. I screwed up. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think what you, the piece that you mentioned, there's more trouble, right? I think we try to avoid all troubles. I don't know if we can avoid all trouble, right? <laughs> <'Cause>, <laughs> I mean, I was, you said the word knucklehead. It's like, yeah, if I can look at my life and think about that, it's probably the, the, uh, the most uh, light term to describe. <laughs> so, you know, but I, I, it was the, the trouble was so, in, you know, severe. It was kind of like, I know my, my family's kind of punishment system was like pretty intense. I was like, yeah, I'm trying to avoid all of that. But like you said, a lot of times it would come back and it would be even worse. And I think in the workplace, back to that idea of fairness, a lot of us kind of have experienced either unfair punishment or unfair like application of the rules. And so it's like, oh, if I say I made a mistake, how do I actually get treated? Like I just talked to another employee who said that they um, they made a mistake that they literally hadn't been trained on. Like they, it, it cost the customer some money. It was a whole situation, took many hours to resolve. 
and they their boss has not stopped bringing it up right and it just keeps on like kind of digging into the wound of like something that they weren't trained for something that they didn't even know how to resolve and when they made the mistake they didn't even they weren't aware of it until somebody was able to say here's where it went wrong right so it's like okay that's that's the most probably the most basic definition of a mistake you didn't even know how to not do the thing that you're supposed to do and it's interesting that they they're feeling not only did they deal with it for about eight hours that day at work, but then the person keeps on digging into it. And it's like, so why would I raise my hand up again and say I made a mistake if I'm being kind of punished by it? So I think to to answer your question, it's it's as people make mistakes, are we in a culture where we we praise the honesty and and then build a pathway for that not not to happen again? Right, because otherwise people are hiding. I think that's one of the, the back to ineffectiveness. Like people are hiding and trying to avoid making a mistake or being called out, so then they're not really doing their job at the highest level. Versus, we know the other side of a mistake is innovation. Right, it's like oh, we thought we kind of made a mistake, but actually this is a whole new level of like exploration. And it's like okay, if people are not afraid to, if they're afraid to make mistake and take risks then they're also going to be afraid to innovate and do things better or differently. You know, one individual on this planet that only wanted to hear good news. And if you brought bad news, he would kill you. His name was Adolf Hitler. And so people learn really quickly. Doesn't matter how bad the news is. You always tell them things are going well because you knew if you told them, Hey, it's not going good on the Western front, Eastern front, whatever the case may be that would be your last day. And so people learn really quickly. And I think that happens in the world today. If you know, your boss doesn't want to hear bad news. Well, why are you going to tell him bad news? You're going to like lie to him or, or sugarcoat it. Right. Yeah. I think this is uh when we talk about feedback, there's a couple of layers where we start to find out um, we break down um, safety into four areas of physical, emotional, psychological, and intellectual safety. And that helps us to have more um, nuanced conversations around what will help people feel safe. But what's interesting, if, if we look, again, physical, emotional, intellectual, psychological safety, we as leaders are operating in this space, too. So what I've learned is either when we're problem solving, I have to understand what's, what safety does this person need as we're talking. And, they, and my team is learning from me as well. Hey, if there is a problem, how do we speak about it in one of those four areas to make sure we can say, okay, how do we increased intellectual safety when we're giving feedback or talking about a problem, because then we can actually start to problem solve from that space. And the interesting thing is you talk about leaders who um, don't want to hear the problems. This I'm a consultant or our firm is a consultant for advantage. We come in and we, we literally measure what's happening in organizations. Some people are not ready to see the problems that are happening in their organization. So we've learned to start asking in the very beginning, what problems are you actually ready to address? And let's start from there because if we start showing you problems that you're not even ready to address, literally people blame us sometimes for bringing them. We, we just measure, we just asked your team <laughs> questions and then we collect their information and brought it back to you. And they're like, oh, is this, is this assessment process meant to stir up controversies? Like, no, no, no. <laughs> Notice when we share the data, nobody fell out of their seats and was like, oh, I never heard this before. Like most people know and the, the data is just a numerical um, data point or uh, n- assessments are a numerical data point for what people have experienced. And the wild piece is some people feel so validated because they're like, oh, I thought I was crazy. I thought I was the only one experiencing this. Whereas then leaders might feel like, oh, we've been trying to solve this and it sucks that no one's 
reflecting that. It's like, no, all of everybody's like having these experiences. And we're like, we've learned before all of that. Let us ask, what problems is your team ready to address? Because it's, it's a fair thing to say, hey, we're not really ready to dive into some certain of these issues. We don't have the trust yet, or we don't really have the support system. It's okay, cool. Let's build from there to make sure that we can address these eventually. But let's, let's build the foundation and, and go forward. I've had uh, many leaders in my life over a course of 56 years. Of course, I wasn't working for 56 years. You know, I did have a childhood. But one of my best managers, do you like that, Kemi? Um, <laughs> I wasn't born working out of the womb. One of my best I mean, managers. Like our parents are our first leaders, right? That's yeah, what's wild. Like we, we watch our parents, like they're our first leaders. And we see it that way. It's like, okay, that's where we learn leadership. Like sometimes we, our parents didn't fully learn leadership in the ways that we are now like learning. Or that they're like, I know my, my, I don't know if I tell you, my mom has nine, like I have nine siblings, so my mom has 10 kids, right? So the leadership of a 10 kid family is different than a one yep. kid family, right? And it's just, uh, it's interesting to ways that I was like, oh, I didn't like her leadership style. Then other ways when I'm older, being like, oh, I can see why <laughs> she led in certain ways, right? But our parents are definitely our first leaders. And I think it's important for us to see that and be like, so I appreciate that you say I've been led from the very beginning, right? Otherwise you wouldn't have made it this far. Yeah. <laughs> so shout out to all the parents. hundred <laughs> percent. So I have had a lot of leaders in my life. One of my favorite leaders was a man by the name of Mike Holthy. He, I worked at a steel factory named called father up in Rochester, New York, when I went to college and he had the ability of, really quickly learning how to talk to you. Now I worked in the union factory and I worked in the warehouse and I was college educated. Okay. I was going to college. I was college educated. And I remember one time he came down the stairs from his office and something bad happened in the warehouse and he saw me, I was around the stairs and he goes, look, I have to yell at the guys because a lot of these guys are not educated. They were union workers, you know, since they started working but he goes, I know that's not your style, so I'll come talk to you about it later. And he would yell at the guys, use call all kinds of vulgar language, because that's how he got through to them. But then he came over to me, and he talked to me as a professional. Same thing when I was used to play you know, soccer, you know, little guy soccer. I, you, I'm not the type of guy, if you yell at me, I close down. If you say, hey, listen, this is the mistake you made, I, you know, I get it. Most leaders I've worked with, and probably most leaders in the world, they have one leadership style for everybody. So they don't care if you like to be talked to, yelled at, emailed, one style. But that doesn't work in the year 2021. It didn't work in the year 1985. Different people react differently. So talk about that for a minute. Yeah, I think that I, I appreciate that you, you've experienced the other side of it. This is part of the reason we started looking at the, those safety filters, right? So if I if I were to I, I'm trying to, and like to just explain to the users or listeners without them seeing the, some of the diagrams of people, for example, who prioritize physical safety, they want to know about like action steps. Like what are the next steps? They want to be able to talk about the kind of the practical elements. Folks who are looking at emotional safety, they want to know how they're going to be supported. They want to know that you recognize them and, and some of their efforts and then being able to talk about what do we need to build and how do we support you? Intellectual safety, they need to logically be able to see that whatever feedback you're giving them, whatever you're asking them to do, it will actually go and it will be successful. It's interesting because intellectual safety folks are people who will ask a lot of questions. And some people are like, oh, like you're challenging me. It's like, no, I just, I can't intellectually <laughs> see where we're going next year. So I can't commit to it. And psychological safety folks, so back to the yelling piece, if psychological safety, if, if you yell at me and like, and kind of like bringing me down, talking down to me, 
then now you impacted how I believe I'm being seen in the organization or being seen by you as my leader. So then it's it's going to impact my uh, build my self image to in this in this workplace. And you, you know how many people are experiencing that where they don't have the psychological safety to then take risk or or to to even uh, ask for clarification or make mistakes that we were talking about before. So for us, it's been helpful to to bring it into uh, this kind of space of saying, what way are we speaking to team members to make sure they can actually hear our feedback, right? So from that perspective, when we do our, our feedback workshops, we ask, who is the protagonist of your feedback? If I'm going to deliver feedback to you, like, am I, do I see myself as a protagonist? I'm such a great manager. I'm such a great leader. Mark got it. He's doing this thing. Or do I say Mark is a protagonist? What does Mark need to know, need to see, need to hear right now to do the thing effectively? Because then if you, if I give you that, then we both just won, right? Because I want you to do the thing effectively. I don't need to, to pat myself on the back as the, as the manager or leader. I more importantly focus on you as a protagonist in this moment to, to make sure we can get to the other side together. Awesome. Well, as we come to the end of our time together, is there anything else on your heart that we didn't get the opportunity to share that you'd like to share with the listener? Absolutely. And I appreciate the, the invitation. And some of what we talked about earlier as we as we looked at how do we create workspaces for people of all backgrounds to work safely and thrive? Like that is how we approach diversity, equity, inclusion. I know that sometimes when people hear those terms, they think it has to be about saving the world or addressing all the social justice problems, what we talk about is called career equity. Are we like, once we hire some, like as, as, as business leaders, business owners, we are responsible for giving people a pathway to succeed in their careers. Um, that especially the people that we hire, are we giving that to folks? Right. And if we can say we're giving that to people and that people of different backgrounds can come in our organization and succeed, we're doing diversity, equity, inclusion. We are helping in, in the grander scheme of things and giving people a pathway to actually earn the the finances. I come from a, an immigrant family. Both my parents have like third and fourth grade level education. I said I have nine siblings. We've all like almost all of us have finished um, uh, bachelor's degrees or multiple master's degrees. We have two doctors of physical therapy. Like we, I can see the the difference in made in our lives when, when my family was able to like work and like put the time in and then, the next generation, next generation, next generation. We have an opportunity to do that for people as business owners, as business leaders, even as solopreneurs, as we're kind of grinding and trying to figure out our journey. That's that's what's on the other side for us. When we start to look at what's the actual vision, once we get through the difficult conversations, so are we giving people a pathway to, to change their lives when they work for us? If the answer is no, then you definitely should talk to us as fears of let's help you do that because otherwise what are you actually trying to do in your business right very well well where can we go to find out more about you and to give a nod to steve jobs to find out the dent you're putting in the universe the dent we're putting in the universe i love that so we would say you can come and find me at fearsadvantage.com slash Kemi connect. So again, my name is Kemi, so you can connect with us. And then <laughs> right on that page, we have resources too for folks who just want to continue their learning, but it's fearsadvantage.com slash Kemi connect. And that will be in the show notes. Kemi, I appreciate you bringing your, your gorgeous hair on the podcast today. My, my head's going, that's what we should have on our head, but I'll, I'll continue to make the donation so you can keep getting that hair longer and longer. But I really appreciate you talking about this topic because uh, toxicity is all over this world and we need to operate in kindness and joy and love because we're all human beings. So 
I appreciate you. Thank you so much Thank for being you. here. Appreciate you too, Mark. Thank you. And before we go, I just want to say thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Mark Stuchowski podcast. I know that there is an endless stream of options for you in this day and age, but you took the time to listen to the episode, and I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. Don't forget to head on over to top5productivitytips.com and get my gift to you, my top five productivity tips. Remember, it's the number five in top5productivitytips.com. They will serve you well. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. We'll see you again real soon.